Hey, it's your boy, the Big Aristotle Shack, and this is the Prime Time Podcast from the Bros Who Think Network. Bitches. What's up, guys? Welcome to another edition of the Prime Time Podcast. My name is Charles Reese, your host, and today we have a special guest, uh, as well as Josh Lemoyne is joining us, as always. Uh, but Cam Meller from PFF is joining us. Y'all can find him on Twitter at PFF underscore Cam. Cam, how are you doing today? I'm living large. Uh, like I said, I think I say it all the time, but I think it, it rings true, especially with bowl season and, and college football playoff season. I'm, I'm living the dream. Yeah, I imagine y'all are getting busy. But, hey, we are le- uh, living large as well as LSU is uh, finally has an offense. So that's the first question I have to ask. It is coming from an outside perspective, from a national perspective, how impressive has this offense been this year? I mean, I think it's unlike anything we've ever seen at DFF, and we've only been doing college for about six years now. But, you know, we've gone back and we've done some historic seasons of college quarterback play. So, like, a Russell Wilson dominant year in 2013. We've gone back and done all of Jameis Winston. So, certain things and certain players we've gone back and done. And, and I mean, honestly, this is, this is unlike anything we've ever seen just with the way – that not only it transformed, and I don't, I don't have to say it too many times because this is uh, the audience that knows it, but to, to see the turnaround from one year and what that does, but also to see it pit to perfectly to Joe Burrow's strengths and none of his weaknesses, it's, it's truly unlike anything we've ever seen. Yeah, look, I mean, we've been just been <laughs> floored because we've been hearing it year after year, and we saw what Joe Burrow was doing some and, and looked at A&M game, but that's a seven-overtime game. He did look impressive, and that UCF game kind of took it with a grain of salt because didn't know how good that defense was. And then to see that first game, and I know it was a lesser opponent, but you saw the no huddle. You saw the shotgun, and look, Josh and I were really impressed you know, just off the beat and then to see what they did in Texas, that third and 17 play where, you know, we're used to LSU running the ball and they didn't, right? They went for that first down. They ended up scoring that pass to Justin Jefferson and really one of Joe Burrow's key Heisman moments in that Texas game. But look, let's talk about what's coming up because that's what is dominating, um, you know, our discussions right now, and as we're looking to that first semifinal game against Oklahoma, it's a game where we see two good offenses, but LSU's defense has been playing better. So that's where I want to look and, and focus on first is how good has LSU's defense been in the past two games against Georgia and against A&M? Well, you know, you hit on it too. I, I'll touch back on that Texas game. That that passing, his passing grade for the Texas game is still his highest of the season, which is a remarkable feat. He's got a couple other ones that are literally within uh, a tenth of a grade point. So it's it's been remarkable. And uh, but I mean, you you look at the defense and you look at uh, just the overall aspects. So we at PFF we're of the of the mindset here that running doesn't matter. Obviously, it's a little different in the in the college game when you have a team that can run successfully with the quarterback like Oklahoma does. So what we do is we, you look at the things that matter the most and that's, you know, strong tackling, but also coverage on the back end. So that's what LSU I think really shines. And, you know, from a national perspective and from a national stance, you look at it and, you know, the only game that a lot of people actually watched the majority of is the Alabama game. So when you say LSU's defense has been good. And when you say Derek Stingley and bring that name up, he, all people want to talk about is Devontae Smith and all they want to talk about is the two bad beats. Outside of that, and since that game, Stingley has allowed all of, I think it's seven receptions at this point. 
no catch longer than 15 yards, I think, also. And then, I mean, just the way that he's been able to limit basically everything that's been thrown at him at such a young age. He's just, he's just really, truly, the, he's the tip of the iceberg for how good that defense has been, though, uh, and key aspects of, of what actually helps you win games. Yeah, so I wanted to focus in on Oklahoma a little bit. You know, I, I'm a film guy like you. I know you guys are you sit there and watch a lot of film like me. Got the opportunity to watch Oklahoma quite a bit this week, breaking them down. You know, I just – I don't quite see see the SEC speed on the field, especially on the back end. When I break down Oklahoma, I really look at it as, you know, all, all the positive things you said about Joe and what he's done. I just don't see the speed on the back end, cornerback and safety that Oklahoma could, you know, stop this LSU offense. You know, and obviously I think they could slow it down. They're, they have an improved defense much improved. They're not in the hundreds. I think they're 24th ranked in the, in the country, which is much better than they've been. But from your perspective, Cam, what, what have you seen? You think Oklahoma has a shot to slow this offense down, or do you think it's going to be kind of how Vegas sees it? For, for about a quarter, I think they can slow them down maybe. <laughs> while, you know, there's always that there's always that feeling out process, and you always want to, you, you know, I don't want to jump the gun and say they're not a good team, but I mean, there's been other teams that have better, or worse teams that have put up 40-plus points on them, uh, and especially if Jalen Hurts continues to play that has kind of plagued him as of late with a bunch of turnovers. This this defense has done one thing very well, though, this, this year, and it's been stopping the run, which is, you know, it's not going to win them a lot of games, and clearly, you know, it's been the offense has had to win them all of their games, essentially, this season, so there's there's a couple of guys that you know need to be accounted for on the back end. Jaden Davis, the, the freshman cornerback, but then Parnell Motley as well, the other quarterback. Dudes are, I mean, pretty sticky in coverage. They can get beat sometimes here and there, and they make up for it with a couple of you know they have some penalty issues and some pretty scrappy play. But that's just two guys, and you can't stop this defense or this offense, this LSU offense with just two guys uh, to to basically try to cover the entire field. So I I, I do see this as kind of what Vegas is saying maybe even a little bit worse, to be honest. Yeah, that's that's how I see it, Cam. Let's swap back real quick to Stingley and CeeDee Lamb. I think that's that's the spot I think most people want to want to see. And, you know, like you said, Stingley got beat a couple times at Alabama game. That's all, uh, that's all I hear about. But when you break down the film, like you said, I mean, he's been locked down most of the year. How do you see that matchup going? I know I pay attention to a lot of your stats, Cam, and, and uh, Stingley has been the best cornerback in the country at the go route, right? And CeeDee Lamb's got speed. That's what he can do well. How do you see that? How do you see that playing out? It, it's must-watch TV because you know it, odds are Derek wins the majority of the time, but odds are he's going to get beat once because of how much they line him up in press coverage with the number one. I mean, he, he lost Colin Johnson in Texas, lost the two, maybe even three or four to, to Devontae Smith, which everybody that's gone up against those guys have lost the battles at least once or twice. It's just, you know, on a national stage, that's all they're going to talk about. There's no way to get around it. So fortunately, this, uh, you know, our PFF grades and what we have and what you can see, if you actually watch the game and you're watching the players and those individual matchups, I see Stingley winning more often than he does lose. It's just when he does lose, unfortunately, it's against the best player on the, on the offensive side of the ball usually. And so for him, this is, this is, it's must watch TV. I mean, you're talking about arguably the best wide receiver, if not the second best wide receiver in the draft class in CD Lamb when he's on the field. I mean, he is a game changer. That's why it was such a close Blitnikoff race. I did have Jamar Chase number one in my Blitnikoff vote and uh, Lamb at number two. So I will say that. Uh, but, you know, for, for Derek, he gets to go up against Jamar and Justin in practice all the time. And, I, I, again, I probably don't have to say it to you guys and harp on it, but those are the things that you gotta you got to understand. He's going up against these top-notch guys in practice, so he's used to this. 
already, even at such a young age. So mm-hmm. I'm very excited to see how it goes. I do foresee a lot of wins for Stingley, but I also see a lot of, uh, you know, maybe one, two, three, or four wins for Lamb as well, which, you know, if, if he's scoring a touchdown in 100 yards, it's probably not the end of the world because they're going to have to play a major catch-up. So. Yeah, look, and I look at this Oklahoma offense, and I agree. Look, CeeDee Lamb is everything that we've heard about when you turn on the tape. And then I look past CeeDee Lamb, and that's where my question is, is, after C.D. Lamb, where does Oklahoma go with the ball? Because it seems like there's a big drop-off after a guy like um, Christian Rambo. Yeah, so Rambo's there. Hazelwood. Yeah, Rambo and Hazelwood are there. I, they really don't throw them the ball too much, and I think a lot of Rambo's numbers are inflated against from the earlier set stretch of the season, too. He, I think his through week six or seven – this guy saw the ball 32 yards down the field on average for his depth of targets. So, I mean, this was, you know, in the tail end of the second quarter, opening stanza or opening part of the third quarter, and they're just kind of chucking in the ball deep. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm not very concerned if I'm an LSU fan, who else to go to cover. And, you know, maybe you roll Grant and you throw him up top and let him, you know, maybe play a sort of a shadow zone on top of him and, or on top of uh, Lamb and Stingley. So, just in case there's the beat, you got his speed on there to, to maybe make up for it. Because I honestly don't think, and I mean, I've, we've seen it. Iowa State was able to lock down in coverage as well and kind of keep them to where they were. I know they put up 42 points against Iowa State, but this team, I mean, they, they do definitely lack playmakers outside of Lamb. Yeah, when look, Cam, when you look at the film as far as their offense, when you get past C.D. Lamb, the, as the season went on, when I, I watched the tape, it's almost like Lincoln Riley kind of, Looked at Hurts more as a running back. It didn't seem like he was quite as confident. Let them throw the ball all over the field. Next is going to come with, you know, conference play and, you know, more competition. That's just how it is. But uh, do you think Hurts can kind of pull what he did at Alabama and really affect LSU's defense? Or do you think LSU should be able to lock him down? Because, you know, when, when you mention his name, LSU, man, he, we have nightmares, man. That guy was a playmaker at Alabama. He broke our hearts numerous times. How do you see the Jalen Hurts, you know, the whole – that dynamic playing out. I, I, you hit the nail on the head too with uh, Coach Riley really looking at it as like a well, okay, we got to kind of figure out how to utilize him yep. more. I mean, he didn't he didn't carry the ball more than 15 times through week 11, and then you know after that it was 15, 21, 25 times just on designed carries. This exactly. is designed actual plays from Lincoln Riley noticing that hey, okay, well Lamb's banged up, Lamb's out maybe we got to get the ball in our playmakers' hands. So it, it happens to be Hurts, who, you know, I was wrong at the beginning of the year. I said he was going to be the third best running back on their team. He's actually the best running back on their team. Uh, so it, I, he, is a, he is a nightmare. I mean, I, I don't have to – again, I don't have to say it here. I'm, I'm used to being on a national call or a different call, and I have to kind of explain things. It's nice to kind of explain a lot of, of who Jalen Hurts actually is. I mean, he's a runner first. He's such an interesting NFL projection as well, too, because that may be his future – in the NFL, but I mean, that's that, that's definitely what you have to stop. Uh, if you if you're able to lock down CD Lamb, you definitely have to stop the design run game, though, because it's it's a huge wrinkle in their offense, a huge wrinkle in, I mean, any sort of college offense to be able to stop a dude that is, is possibly the best running back whenever he's on the field. Well, yeah, look, we, you, you said you said NFL. I, I have to throw this in because we watch a lot of Saints. Could he be a Taysom Hill? But you kind of know what you're getting in him from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, they're, it's like they're even trying to do something of that nature. I think what he's seen, he's seen three passes thrown his way too, so it's kind of trying to showcase it. I think he's a little bit maybe 
lighter than Taysom is with the the weight that Taysom can pack on there and still move his body with. So maybe that's the case. He he is a durable guy, Jalen is. So I mean, maybe there's that to him too. He's he's an interesting guy. He's got a future in the pros. It's just maybe not the uh, you know down by down passer though. That's for sure. Well, let's get back in, into this conversation of of LSU's offense uh, against what Oklahoma is going to be doing defensively. Uh, my question is is you know, there's some rumors about what Clyde could be facing if there's a hamstring issue, how long he's going to be out. We still don't know, you know, the details of that injury. If Clyde can't go in this game, does that alter how LSU attacks Oklahoma? I would say so. I would say because, I mean, I think when you when you see the LSU offense and if they, you know, Joe's safety blanket that is Clyde out of the backfield on the dump offs, it's, you know, it takes a page out of the better quarterbacks of all time in terms of, you know, where to look for the safety valve. So maybe you see a little bit more of, of Burrow kind of scrambling and taking off a little bit, which I don't think anybody would be too upset with as long as he slides. But, uh, you know, I, I think that may be the effect of there. Just, but uh, honestly, because of how good Oklahoma has been this year, and I mean, their highest graded players and their best players, I think, are those dudes in the middle that can stop the run. I don't think they have an elite grade as a pass rusher, but they have multiples, multiple elite grades from us at PFF against the run. So already, you know, you're fighting an uphill battle to kind of establish the run, which isn't necessarily necessary with this, this offense. So I say just let them fling it and keep pushing the ball down the field and don't change, don't change too much. You know, maybe, maybe change and figure out how to run a shallow dump cross off, you know, leave somebody on the back end, leave uh, instead of sending all four wide receivers and tight ends, you know, out, out long, out deep, Maybe leave somebody back in just in case, you know, there is a pressure or there's a lapse in the offense because that's, I think, the biggest aspect if Clyde does miss the game. Yeah. Dan, when I look at this concept as far as Clyde not being able to play, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a guy that says, hey, let's throw the ball 55 times, 60 times. Uh, but in this situation, I really, I really believe Oklahoma is on the back end just not quite that strong. And if you have to go that route, and obviously you'll, a Ty Davis or John Emery, you know, will be in there for a safety valve. But like you said, I, I could just see Joe, if he has to, just have to throw it 50 times and just keep, keep doing your thing. I just think we've got to that point with him and, you know, they're comfortable with him. Is that something that you could possibly see happen and just put it on Joe's shoulders and let him carry it? Absolutely. And then, I, uh, you know, I think if he does, if he's throwing it 55, 50, or even 50-plus times in this game, you know, I, I think you, you see the average depth of target go down. But that's just, you know, by design. You don't want him right. launching – you know, 10, 20, 30 balls, 20 yards down the field. So, you know, definitely keep some short things, run some different concepts as well, which I'm sure they have in their offense and in their scheme that they that they can unleash. I mean, Burrow's got a full route tree that he can throw and throw with relative ease. I mean, his accuracy number is on any sort of route. I mean, you can bucket them. You can look at them as in-depthly as you want. The, the, the placement of his balls on each type of pass, each type of each branch of the route tree – has been remarkable this year. So, I mean, you know, let him let it fly. I'm all for it. We're all for it at PFF, the stances that you have to be able to pass to win. So they can do it. And it's it's high, much more valuable to pass the ball and pass the ball well than it is to run the ball. So by all means, sling it 55 times a game in this game. I'm, I'm all for it. And I'll be watching uh, with uh, bated breath, I think, is the best term. Do you think Joe Burrow projects well in the NFL? Absolutely. I think that it's not even it's not even close at this point. It's him and Trevor Lawrence are the best two that we've seen from a pure prototypical passing quarterback uh, in the past few drafts. Uh, Tre- Trevor probably still takes the, the nod in our book, I think, because of what he's been able to do from such a young age and all the way forward. But I mean, Burrow is unlike anything we've ever seen. 
Mm-hmm. And, and and look, what I, I saw, you know, ESPN was talking about it, and, and they said, you know, he's only done it in one year. Is that a knock when you go to grade a guy going forward for the draft? I think it, it's it's something in the back of your mind. But I think you look at, okay, well, if his high is this high, then you absolutely have to take him first, and you'd be stupid not to because this is a guy that will win you 10, 15 games in the NFL, no sweat, get you to the playoffs and win these big games that are going to be on an NFL schedule. I mean, he's ready to go right now and on the tail end of what will be one of the most uh, decorated college football seasons from a quarterback we've ever seen, I think. And that's not just PFF history. I think this is, I mean, we're in, we're in midst of history from a quarterback standpoint in terms of how decorated he will be at the end. So yeah, he's ready to go. And I, I don't think that, I think it's, it's probably a thought. It's probably a thought in your mind. Like, okay, it's a one-year wonder, but if, if this is your one-year wonder and this is what you get from him, that's awesome for me because he still was a hot, well above average quarterback last year. So if that's your four, as the expression goes, and your ceiling is what we've seen this year, then by all means, yes, first overall, let him start for your team and, and, and prosper. Um, Cam, so you talk about pro potential. The last couple of days, I've seen Justin Jefferson. He's been projected as it looks like Todd McShay has him as a mid-first rounder. I had him, you know, before any of these grades came out, at, you know, second round, maybe high second round. Um, what's your thoughts on Jefferson? Because now I've seen twice, once today, that they haven't been a first round. How do you guys see him at PFF? I think it's a little – if this if, if were not the 2020 wide receiver class, he's a first rounder. I think in this boat, though, this class is – this is another one of those, like this is the this is the year to need a wide receiver. And so I think we're going to see the NFL teams value a bunch of different receivers in, in terms of what they do for their scheme and their offense. I think he's at the top end of the second round. I think there are a couple of other guys that do, and C.D. Lamb is one of them, that does everything possible for any team. So you'll see him kind of highly coveted. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this is a talented core of receivers, and he is in the top five, which is, again, no slight to him. Top five or top six, I think, is what we have him. Uh, no slight to him because that's like top two or top three any other year, basically, because of how stacked this class is. Yeah, and that's where I have him. I, I, I look at him my mid, mid to, you know, early second. So, okay, we see eye to eye. Well, I, I want to ask about some news that came out this week on the Oklahoma side. Yes, we heard the Clyde over Tolaire news, but Oklahoma is going to be without three players, including their starting defensive end, uh, Ronnie Perkins. H- how much is his impact, you know, not being in this game going to be felt for Oklahoma? I think it's it's huge. He's the, I mean, he's their guy who leads the team in pressures. Next behind him is Neville Gallimore. And so if your leading pressure getter is your guy in the interior and you have a stout interior that the LSU offensive line has, then this is, uh, that's trouble. You're going to give Burrow five, six, seven, eight seconds to, to throw, and that is, that's a recipe to um, lose games, in my <laughs> opinion. You need, a, you need a dominant pass rusher. Coverage is a little bit more important, but pass rush, is by far the second best aspect that you have, the second most important aspect you have to have for a, for to win on defense. And they they just don't have it. They don't have anybody that's close to even what we would call a great grade on pass rushing, and only one, and that's Gallimore, who has a great grade. Everybody else is just about average or above average. So they uh, they need some help, and that having Perkins and, and 31 total pressures this year that we have him for leads the team is is a is a huge one. Well, Cam, before we ask how you're feeling this game ends up going on the 28th, I want to ask about bowl games in general. As you were saying, bowl season's about to start, starts this weekend. Uh, give us a couple of bowl matchups that you're looking forward to seeing and, and maybe a couple of guys that could be projecting well to the next level. So I'll start Friday night. Kent State versus Utah State. The LSU faithful saw Utah State 
Uh, Jordan Love's story in and of itself, whatever you want to do, if he plays or not, that's a different story. I love Kent State, and I love what they've been able to do. Dustin Crum, their quarterback, is a guy that has pro potential from the MAC. He's likely coming back next year. Sean Lewis, their head coach, is a guy, he's, I think, 33 years old. So this is a guy who is an upstart in the coaching community, and this is a guy you'll hear will likely be uh, sought after to take the, the Power Five leap. So if you want to watch some up-and-comers, I think, you know, for the 2021 NFL draft as a sleeping sleeper quarterback, it's Dustin Crum at Kent State and then head coach Sean Lewis as well as kind of a guy who can make that Power Five leap, so to speak. Uh, and then, I mean, another one, I, there, there's intrigue I can draw from just about any of them. When you, when you watch as much of these games as you can, or as, as, and as I have, it's, uh, it's, it's hard not to find intrigue. But Washington versus Boise State, if you have Chris Peterson's last game as head coach of Washington before he steps into that new role against his former team at Boise State, that's a, uh, that is intrigue written all over it. So there's, there's a lot. There's a lot in each one of these that I'm very excited for. I mean, it's not just you know, the Power 5 games. I want to see these, uh, you know, App State versus UAB. I want to see that game. I want to see those quarterbacks sling the ball, and I want to see Zach Thomas and Tyler Johnson throw them around the field because uh, if you haven't watched or gotten the pleasure of seeing UAB play, you know, we compare Tyler Johnson to Jameis Winston in the fact that if he's going to throw five touchdowns, he's also going to throw four interceptions and have a crazy two bad pocket fumbles. So he's a boomer bust for the UAB Blazers. So a couple of those I'm very interested in, not only this, you know, just this weekend too. Hey, what's the fav- What's your uh, favorite game you watched this year? I it's SMU versus Tulsa, the three overtime game that they had that James Prochet caught the. Uh, the we call them big time catches. It's a toe tapper and triple overtime that won the game for him. Yeah, that was an incredible game. But uh, yeah. let's look at this game. And uh, how do you feel? You know, for this Oklahoma LSU game, who do you think ends up winning it? And, and kind of give us a score uh, neighborhood. You don't have to give us a score projection. Yeah, you know it's. I, I see this one as it's it's close in the first quarter. It's close maybe even through the first stages of the second quarter. I think we get to a point where it's, you know, in the 20s to the teens at halftime. Uh, and then you need to be a, uh, I have no no sweat in saying maybe 42, 45 to 28, maybe with a backdoor cover chance for Oklahoma on like a last second touchdown or something to, to cover the 13 and a half. So I think it's not, it's no sweat fellas you to pull this one out and put over 40 on the board well can we appreciate you for giving us some of your time today make sure y'all go follow him on twitter at pff underscore cam hey what do y'all have coming out uh for bowl season and for uh the college football playoff over at pff so we'll have a full bowl projection of every game i think it drops tomorrow morning whereas every game gets a players to watch betting spread and a preview for our green line product so that's awesome by uh our guy anthony trash doing that one as well and then what i'm working on currently is the i'm going to re-rank the college starting quarterback situations after the national championship so i've done it i did a preseason did it after week six i did it after week 12 and so i'm going to i'm calling the national championship in week 18 and so i'll have six week installments of our quarterback rankings so i'm going to do all 130 again uh and so looking forward to to that and kind of you know, I got a couple of teams i can actually already write up in place because they're not playing but uh you know looking forward to burrow one and then who's going to slide in that number two spot? Because right now it's open. Well, Cam, once again, I want to thank you for coming on. Josh, you as well. Uh, but this has been our little early preview of this Oklahoma matchup. An exciting game. I think that uh, there's going to be a lot of fireworks, especially on that LSU side. A lot of things to watch. But uh, cannot wait for that to get here. Kind of wish Christmas wasn't in the way and it could happen this weekend. But we've got another week to wait. 
But for Cam and for Josh Moyne, my name is Charles Reese, your host. Y'all have a great week. Enjoy some football this weekend. There's a lot of great games. And as always, God bless. Ooh, I bet you